Well, good morning, church family and friends and guests. So glad that you guys are here. Good morning to all of you watching right now live at 9.30. Glad that you're with us. Uh, it's, just, it's just good to be together. Hey, truth be told, uh, something comes over me whenever I'm around water. Uh, pond, stream, lake, river, just got to throw rocks in the water, all right? Anyone with me? Okay, you just got to throw rocks in the water. All the guys are like, yeah. There's just something about skipping rocks, you know, in the water, or better yet, just getting a big rock and just chucking it into the water and just that sploosh, you know, and big splash and just the ripples and the waves that come out. Now, I just love that moment because you do that all day long. It's, it's a lot of fun. I love, I love sharing that moment with my kids. It's just, it's just good, clean, simple fun, right? You know what's interesting is the work of God in our life is a lot like that rock hitting the water is there's a moment of impact in our life, which is salvation, when we come to a place where we invite Christ into our life and we choose to be a follower of Christ. And the moment of impact of Christ in our life hits us, and then the impact of that changes us, but then also ripples out into the lives of those around us. When you come to Christ, the people who know you and love you, uh, that do life with you, will see a change, and the change that Jesus is doing in you will ripple out into them as well. And, and, and that's just a powerful uh, image for me of understanding how God works in our life. And when you see the Bible and you get into the Bible, you see that effect uh, through lives captured in the Bible left and right. And one book in particular, the book of Acts, uh, over and over again, you see these ripple effects taking place as the people of the early church were trying to live faithfully and boldly in their new faith in Christ. And the book of Acts captures uh, the birth and the growth of the early church. And the people in the early church were modeling growth and boldness and effective ministry as they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and let what God was doing in them then ripple out into the lives that they encountered. As we uh, basically re-enter into the book of Acts, what we did is we started the year in the book of Acts, and then uh, we got up to Easter, took a little break. We've been in this relationship series uh, the last couple months. Now we're going to resume in the book of Acts. What we saw was all these events that were captured from the death of Christ, uh, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God falling on those early disciples uh, in Jerusalem and all of these events. And when you look at the book of Acts, the, we come back to the theme verse. The, the, the one verse that really captures the entire book of Acts is Acts 1.8. And I challenge you guys to memorize that verse earlier in the year. It should be very familiar to all of us as followers of Christ where, where Jesus told the disciples, but you will be uh, or you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you see the ripple effects of that very statement? God is saying, I'm going to make a big splash here in Jerusalem, and then the, the waves of that are going to roll out to the end of the earth. And so the early church was on a mission. The early church was on a quest. The early church was on a voyage to fulfill Acts 1-8, that what God was doing was going to ripple through the effect. Because here's the deal. What Jesus did in Jerusalem could not stay in Jerusalem. And we're all on a spiritual journey. We're all on a spiritual quest. We're all on a voyage. As you come to Christ, here's the truth. What Jesus is doing in you can't stay in you. It's going to ripple out 
and to the lives of others around you, just like Acts 1-8 is the effect of the church. And so we come back to this moment, when we come back to the book of Acts, we're going to re-enter uh, this beautiful book of capturing the early church, and look at what God is doing in and through his earlier followers. And our desire is to learn powerful lessons from the men and women of faith that went before us, and uh, what, what, how did they encounter God on their voyage? What lessons did they learn on their voyage? How did they boldly grow in their voyage? And how can we apply what we see in their life to our lives so that we can uh, also boldly grow as we are on our voyage? Now, uh, what, we, what we looked at before we entered into our relationship series is we came up to, to Acts 8. So we went Acts 1 through 7, capturing all those uh, events of the early church, Again, the death of Christ, resurrection, the ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit. What we saw last was um, that the increased persecution was starting to begin for the early followers of Jesus. And it culminated at the end of Acts 7 with the death of a man named Stephen. And uh, the crowd drew him out of town, threw rocks at him until he died. They were laying their coats at the feet of this man named Saul. And then we pick up in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. So I invite you to open your Bibles. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. We are a Bible-teaching church. Uh, you want to show up here with a Bible or a Bible app if you're more of a device person to take notes, read for yourself. You don't want to count on the screens. You don't want to count on just listening. You want to be able to look at the Word of God yourself. And so looking at Acts chapter 8, we see in verse 1, And Saul approved of his execution, talking about the death of Stephen, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of, well, check this out, Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles, all right? Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And what God's using here, God's using the persecution of the church to disperse the disciples to get the message of Jesus out into the region. Now, we're going to hear more about this man Saul next week. But what we want to look at here in Acts chapter 8 is as the church is voyaging out from Jerusalem to take the good news of Jesus to the world, we see three specific people in this chapter that I want to look at. They're individual voyages, if you will. And so we're going to look at three people today. We're going to look at Simon the magician, an Ethiopian official, and Philip the evangelist. And we're going to start with Simon. And so uh, Acts chapter 8 verses 4 through 13, and we're going to do a lot of reading today. I just want God's Word to do its work as we're in it. In Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 13, here's what we see as an introduction to this man named Simon. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And so many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. It's a little bit of an ego thing going on here. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So here's what we see. Uh, Philip the evangelist is going to Samaria. He's preaching the gospel. God has given him the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to do miracles. People are being healed of demons. People are being healed of infirmity. Uh, God is using these miracles to authenticate the message of Philip, that what he is saying is true. He's bending the rules of what is natural to get people's attention. And uh, people are coming to Christ. And among these people is this man named Simon, a, a fluent man, an influential man. Many people knew who he was. He amazed them with his, you know, magic, you know, whether that was demonically influenced or just, you know, he was really good at his tricks. We don't know. But um, he had this, this prominence in the community. And he saw all of this stuff unfolding. And he saw these great miraculous acts and people, you know, believing in this message. So he goes, I believe too. And uh, people are getting baptized, and he's like, I'm going to get baptized. And then afterwards, he hangs out with Philip because wherever Philip's going, all these crazy things are happening. And so he's really about this. He's caught up in the moment. The question is, was Simon truly saved or not? And we can't say yes or no with 100% certainty. But most commentators, most theologians would probably say no. But you're looking at this verse going, wait a second. It says that even Simon believed and was baptized, so he obviously said he believed. He got baptized, so he's good, right? Not so fast. Let's continue on. Acts 8, 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem, so we got all the apostles still hanging out in Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus." Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Let's just stop there. So here's what's happening. You have to understand the history, and a lot of you do. Uh, there's a great divide between the Jewish people in Jerusalem and the Samaritan people of Samaria because the Jewish people look very low on the people of Samaria. To them, they're half-breeds, they're half-Jewish, half-pagan, half-Gentile. They're, they're unclean people. We've got no business with them. So look what God is doing. God is saying, what I'm doing in Jerusalem will not stay in Jerusalem. It's going to go out. More people are going to come to know me. We're going to start with Judea and then Samaria. And so for, for these people to hear the gospel and start to believe would unite them in heart and faith with the Jewish believers who for years and years and years went, I don't want anything to do with Samaritans. So they needed a bridge builder. They needed something to connect them. And so God had the apostles leave Jerusalem, come. These people that were being baptized in water in the name of Jesus, that were professing faith in Christ, needed something to connect them and break down the wall between them and the Jews in faith in Christ. And so we now see the laying on of hands from the apostles, you know, uh, John and Peter, over these new Samaritan believers. And what God was doing was he's saying, you are now one. And so uh, just as we had a Pentecost day in Jerusalem, this was a Samaritan Pentecost. And people were coming to faith, and God wanted to unite these two. This is where we see in God's Word the difference between things that are prescriptive and descriptive. This was describing something God was doing as the ripples of the gospel were taking place and needed to break down the barriers with those in Samaria. And so, and it's not prescriptive. Uh, when we come to faith in Christ, when we repent of our own sins and we turn to Jesus and say we believe, the Holy Spirit comes into us. We don't need someone to lay hands on us like they were doing here. Uh, that moment takes place. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so this was unique to these Samaritan believers in this moment. 
Well, what was happening probably as they were laying hands on and the Holy Spirit was coming upon the Samaritan believers is probably what we saw in Jerusalem was also happening in Samaria. We saw tongues of fire. We saw people speaking in tongues. We saw prophesying taking place and it drew people to want to know more and then come to faith. And so that there was probably these manifestations taking place for the Samaritan believers, which leads us to verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that on anyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. And this is very key. Listen to what Peter tells Simon. And pray to the Lord. Who's supposed to pray to the Lord here? Simon is. Simon's supposed to pray to the Lord. And pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to come Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So here's what we see. Simon is seeing all of this supernatural stuff taking place. He knows what's happening is not smoke and mirrors. This guy's a charlatan. He's like, there's nothing up these guys' sleeves. This is legitimate. I'm really amazed. This is an this is you know, amazing thing. He sees them laying hands on people, these manifestations of God's power taking place. And Simon goes, oh, I got to be able to do that. Man, imagine how awesome I would be. Imagine how impressive it would be if I could lay my hands on people and that stuff would happen. And what happens is in this moment, his true nature, his true heart is starting to be revealed. The guy was a magician. What do you think magicians did when they went and watched another magician and that magician did a cool trick and that magician didn't know it? Hey, man, would you teach me how to do that? Sure. Why don't you give me some money, and I'll show you how to do this. That, that, that's his way. That's his old way. That's what he knows. And so here he sees the, all this supernatural stuff taking place, and he goes, oh, i got to be able to do that. Comes to Peter and, and, and John saying, show me how to do that. I'll pay you. It's the old nature. It's the true nature. And, of course, he tried to do this with Peter. And if you know anything about Peter, <laughs> this isn't going to go well because you've got a man who's laser-focused on Jesus. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, hyper-discerning uh, right now, and he looks at Simon and he calls him out. And he confronts him. And if you listen very carefully to the things that he says to Simon, you will find why most people believe that he was not actually converted. He was not actually saved. His heart was not changed. It says, look at verse 20 again. He says, may your silver perish with you. Okay, he's going to perish. <laughs> uh, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. God's giving something for free. You're trying to work and pay for it. That's corruption. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. Meaning, you don't have a share you don't have a peace in what's taking place here right now. And your heart is not right before God. Look, when we come to faith in Christ, our hearts are made right before God. And it's definitely a work in progress, there's no doubt. But there's a transformation that begins. There's a change that takes place. Our hearts are changed. And what Peter's saying is your heart hasn't changed. And this has revealed that. And look, he presses in, verse 22. He says, 
Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Why is Peter confronting him? What's his goal? He wants Simon to repent. He wants Simon to come to true faith. He says, you have a pseudo-faith. It's false. I want you to have the real deal. So, so truly come. Truly repent. Authentically come and place your faith in Christ. He says, pray to the Lord. And, and look at this beautiful image that he gives in verse 23. For I see you are in the gall. You know what gall is? Gall is another way to say bile. Like, like vomit. You know what I'm saying? You're in the bile of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. <laughs> His heart was hoping that Simon would repent. And he told Simon, you pray and ask the Lord for forgiveness. What did Simon do? Look at verse 24. Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Who did Peter ask to pray? Simon. Who does Simon ask to pray? Peter. Does it sound like conviction? Does it sound like repentance? Does it sound like someone taking responsibility for error and wrong? Does it sound like someone who's coming to God and saying, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I need to come to you, and he's repenting? No. He's afraid of judgment. He's afraid of the consequences, right? He's saying, no, Peter, you pray for me that none of this bad stuff will happen. Isn't that the way most people approach God? Like, can someone do something spiritual for me so the bad stuff won't happen to me in the eyes of God? And so Peter calls him out and basically says that there's not true repentance here. But the, but the Bible said that he believed and was baptized. So, so what's the deal? You know what this reminds us of? It reminds us of the parable of the soils in Luke 8. When Jesus says that the word of God is cast out, right? The word of God is put out. The gospel is preached, and the seeds of that gospel will fall into four different types of soils. And one of the soils is the rocky soil. Look what is clear about the rocky soil in Luke 8.13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. Did Simon hear the word and receive it with joy? Absolutely. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. The people that are receiving the gospel, receiving the word that are on the rock, aren't truly saved. It just seems like a good idea at the time. They get caught up in the moment. But when persecution, hardship, temptation, something comes in the way, it reveals what's truly there, no root. And that's exactly what happened with Simon. Is that when the opportunity of seeing all this supernatural stuff took place, it was a testing. Well, what happened when he was tested showed that there was no root. And he fell away. You know, uh, Christian literature and history identifies Simon as Simon Magus, who went on later to be a heretic. If that's a true identification, he did not heed the warning of Peter and truly uh, was not saved. Which leads us to ask some very difficult questions. How many people out there, how many people in here are Simons? How many people out there have maybe said a prayer asking Jesus into the heart but if you were to inspect their life, zero spiritual fruit, no root for Jesus. The, the testing, when, when things got hard, they said, no, God doesn't love me, I'm out. There's a true authentic conversion taking place there. How many people out there, how many people in here have this vague belief in God, but their souls truly aren't saved? 
How many people out there in here have maybe even been baptized? Like Simon got baptized. There's a lot of people out there going, oh, I got baptized. I'm good. Really? Baptism is something you do because you believe. Baptism isn't something done for you so that you can believe. And so there's probably people out there, and more than likely some people even in here, that are walking around like Simon going, I think I'm covered, but if there has never been true conversion in the heart, there's never been true repentance, then there's not true faith in Christ. And so obviously what Peter said to Simon is what we would want to say to you. Man, repent. <laughs> turn from whatever you're trusting in. Turn from yourself, religion, ritual, prayers, a baptism. Turn from whatever you're trusting in to be made right with God. Turn to Christ. It's only through Jesus that you have forgiveness of sins. It's only through Jesus that you can be made right with God. And you have to come to that place where you say, God, I believe in you. I don't have all the answers to all my questions, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. Uh, here's my life, take it, it's yours. Now help me live for you. It's just, it's a moment of heart conversion. And so you have to have both the confession of the mouth and the change of the heart. You can't just profess faith, you actually have to possess the faith. And so we see this invitation and warning here, both in the life of Simon and his voyage. But he's not the only voyage we see. We also see the voyage of an Ethiopian official, a eunuch. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. We're introduced to a new, a new person. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Man, another neat story, another neat voyage. Here is a man from, uh, at the time, which would have been ancient Nubian kingdoms, from the northern part of Ethiopia, south below Egypt. He's an official of Candace. Candace is a title, not a name. Candace means like Pharaoh or Caesar or president. She's queen of the Ethiopians. And this man is an official of hers, he takes care of all her money. So he has a lot of responsibility, a lot of wealth. And he's on a pilgrimage. He's truly on a voyage. I don't know if you know this, but Ethiopia to, to Jerusalem, not a little trip. It's a big trip. And obviously the guy's wealthy. He's got a chariot. He's probably with a company of people for safety. He's reading a scroll, which is hard to come by. Um, he's, he's wealthy. He's prominent. But he's going to Jerusalem. Well, what would take a guy from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship? 
Well, if you study since ancient times, uh, the Jewish people had interaction with the Ethiopians all the way back, all the way back to the days of King Solomon with uh, you know, Queen Sheba and all of this. So there was Jewish influence even in Ethiopia at the time. This man was likely a Jewish convert. And now he was on this voyage to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. That's a long way to go to church, okay? Next time you think about how long it's going to take you to go to church, think about the Ethiopian and go, yeah, I got this, okay? He's going to church. He's going to worship. Which means as a God-fearing man, what he's trusting in to be made right with God, his heart is right, but his mode is still a little off. Because what he's trusting in is law He's trusting in ritual and religion to be made right with God. And now he's coming back from Jerusalem, and God sends him someone to help him out. This man is open. He's a seeker. He's hungry to learn. He's, he's hungry to understand. And God says, I'm going to meet you in that place, and I'm going to send somebody to you to bring understanding. And he sends Philip, who connects the dots for this guy. This guy's reading this passage. He's going, I don't understand it. And then God sends someone to help him understand. He goes, oh, Oh, this is Jesus, and oh, so he's the lamb, and, and, and in this moment, Philip's unfolding the understanding of the gospel, and we're not told about the whole conversation. We're told about the moment where he invites Philip into the chariot. They obviously have a very long discussion. We're told about the moment where he gets out because he sees water and wants to be baptized, but there's a lot of a, there's a big window there that we don't have the details, but we can easily summarize the details because when the guy comes to this point going, look there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Clearly in that conversation, he understood the gospel. He believed in the gospel. He understood what baptism was. And now he was acting on the belief that unfolded on his voyage. And this man was different than Simon. Simon was intrigued by what he saw on the outside. Simon was intrigued by the supernatural. The Ethiopian was gripped by the message of the gospel. The Ethiopian was gripped by the message that was there in God's word. And one of the evidences that we see that he truly believed, it says that after this moment, he went on his way rejoicing. True joy is such a sign of evidence of true belief in Christ. Like, go back to the, the beginning of Acts chapter 8. What was happening in Samaria when Philip was preaching? It said there was much what in that town? Joy. Why? Like, think about it. When you realize that we're lost and broken and separated from God and there's no hope, no, no church attendance, no good work, no prayer, no spiritual ritual will ever make us right with God, and we're pretty much stuck, not able to get to God, and when we realize that God himself came down, died on the cross, rose from the grave to pay for our sins so that we can be with him, and we realize that he did that, and all he does says, come and believe. In that belief, you know what that does? You realize what God did for you. It fills you with joy. Just like unbelievable belief that God loves us that much and would do that for us. And so this Ethiopian was filled with joy as he traveled on his journey. You know what? It probably should say something else because if you look carefully here, here's what it says. It says that after the baptism, God took away Philip, implying like he didn't just like pack up his bag and walk off. Like God supernaturally relocated him. The passage would probably say, after this, God took Philip and the Ethiopian freaked out. <laughs> That's what I would do if I'm talking to someone and then they're gone. I'm like, whoa, what just happened? He just knew it was God. He went on his way rejoicing. When you listen to the Ethiopian Orthodox Church talk about their history, guess who they say brought the gospel to Ethiopia? The Ethiopian eunuch. God was working in him. 
And then God worked through him and the ripples cast out, which makes us ask questions. How many of us are like that Ethiopian? How many of us are seeking and hungry to know the truth and we're looking for God? And, and maybe, maybe our hearts are right, but you know what? We've got the wrong mode. You're, you're thinking, if I, if I say these prayers, if I get baptized, if I, if I go to church, and you're, you're trusting in things that you have to do instead of trusting in what Jesus did. Let this moment be your chariot. Let this moment be the moment where God brings guidance to you to say, let me connect the dots. What you're looking for is found in Jesus. And reading the Bible and your baptism and all those things will mean more and have better understanding when you understand it through the lens of faith in Christ. And so many of you are going to church, maybe you're in a life group, you're reading the Bible, and you just have that last step of true faith to believe in Christ. Let this be the day that you put your faith in Christ. Let God connect those dots for you so that you can truly believe and follow Jesus. So we see the voyage of Simon. And it makes us ask questions, and it makes us come to some realizations. We see the voyage of the Ethiopian, and it makes us ask questions, and it makes us come to realizations. Lastly, let's look a little bit more at the voyage of the man we've already been hearing about, Philip. Who's this Philip guy? This is not Philip who was one of the 12 apostles. This is Philip that we see come on, uh, on the radar in Acts chapter 6. He was one of the men that was given a position as a deacon, a servant of the church, He's also known as Philip the Evangelist, if you look it up in Acts 21.8. And he's, God's sending Philip all over the region right now to fulfill Acts 1.8. Here's a map just saying, like, okay, I'm going to have you in Jerusalem. Oh, you're going up to Samaria. Oh, now you're going to go down to, down by Gaza. Then I'm going to supernaturally take you to Zotus. And, you know, this, this, this guy's faithful. He's a faithful follower of Christ. And here's some observations I want us to make about Philip and his voyage that we can apply to ours. First observation of Philip was this, that he's one who proclaims Christ. He proclaims Christ. In, in verse 5 of Acts 8, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, Samaria and proclaimed Christ to them. He didn't proclaim works. He didn't proclaim religion. He didn't proclaim politics. He didn't uh, proclaim that you can have your best life now, any of that kind of stuff. He proclaimed Jesus. And so we too, as followers of Christ, are to be proclaimers of Christ. We need to have a voice and we need to have a, a formulated uh, opinion on cultural issues. But may we first and foremost be known for people who love Jesus and proclaim Jesus. I hope all your good friends, all your family members, all the people who work with you know that you just love Jesus. And you proclaim Christ with your words, and you proclaim Christ with your behaviors and attitudes, and that makes us Philip's. He just proclaimed Christ. We too should be proclaiming Christ. We also see, and this is really important, that Philip was responsive and obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. Look at what takes place here. Look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he did what? Rose and went. Like, you have to understand what God just told Philip to do. Philip's in Samaria, thriving ministry. Thousands of people, man, they're coming to Christ. People come to Christ left and right. Lots of activity. Everything's good. God says, I'm going to send you into the desert to have a conversation. He just goes. He just goes. Just respond. He doesn't say, well, Lord, you know, I'm feeling called here because it's comfortable. Lots of happening. He just says, all right, Lord. Doesn't necessarily make sense in my book, but that doesn't matter. I'm just going to go. He just goes, okay? When he encounters the Ethiopian, 
in verse 29. In verse 30, it says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Verse 30 says, So Philip ran to him. Like it's a chariot. It's moving. He didn't stroll up to the chariot. <laughs> he had to run to the chariot, catch up with the guy a little bit, all right? Philip didn't go, oh, but Lord, the chariot's going too fast. I missed the opportunity. God closed the door. He, did, he didn't come up with like, you know, oh, you know, that's an Ethiopian, and, you know, there's some, you know, awkwardness. But he just went. He just went. He just followed what the Holy Spirit was telling him to do. We, too, should be responsive and obedient to the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need to do what God tells us to do. When God says go, we go. When God says share, we share. When God says stop it, we stop it. Whatever sin, behaviors, you know, attitudes, when God says cut it out, we cut it out. When God says I want you to give generously, you give generously. When God says I want you to bless someone, you bless someone. We just need to learn to be more responsive and obedient to the Holy Spirit and be like Philip in this way. We also see in the tactics of Philip, look, look at verse 30. It says, Philip ran up to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with them. <laughs> Philip asked questions. He waited for an invitation. He didn't just jump into the chair and go, hello there. I've got a message for you. And start preaching at the guy. He, he, he was wise in how he interacted with the Ethiopian. He asked questions. He, he waited for the invitation. And, and look, look how God made all that happen. You know what? Some of us are very well-intentioned in sharing our faith, but we're just obnoxious. And we don't wait for invitation. And, and, and some of us are, are, instead of asking good questions, we just can't wait to just say what we think and say what we know. And there's times to be more aggressive and bold, no doubt. But there's also times for the wisdom of going, ask good questions of your friends as you're sharing faith. Wait for invitations and permission. Don't just barge into their lives. You've got to wait sometimes for the bridge to be built. Also notice this. Philip backed up the good news of Jesus with Scripture. Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I think I love it says there that Philip opened his mouth. It doesn't say Philip sat there and just kind of gave the guy a back rub, you know, gave him a little pep talk, just was encouraging, and it says, I hope he gets Jesus out of that. He opened his mouth. He spoke about Christ. He shared the good news of Jesus, and he connected it to Scripture. Look, as we share our faith, we should all have a handful of passages of the Bible that help people understand who Jesus is and what he offers in eternal life. Yes, have John 3.16. By the way, when you, when, you, when, you, when you speak Scripture, you don't always have to give a verse. Like if you're talking with a friend and you're explaining the love of God, you can just say, like, look, God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. You don't have to say, well, according to John 3, 16, you know, you can still speak God's word and, and, and share, do you know John 3, 16? Do you know Romans 10, 9, and 10? Do you know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Do you know 1 John 5, 11, and 12? And how all those things help us understand what we have in Jesus. So that when we're sharing the gospel, it's backed by God's word. We pray for opportunities to share and people to share with. We, we love in, on people. We share God's word with them. We share what God's done in our life with them. And we become these people invited to voyage with others and share the gospel. So who do you relate most to today? Do you relate most to Simon? 
heart's off, but you're kind of doing the right thing. At some point in time, God will reveal the true condition of your heart, whether in this life or the next. Come to true faith. Can you relate to the Ethiopian? Your heart's right, but your method's off. You're trusting in something else other than just trusting Christ. Just cross that line by trusting in Christ, and all those other things will make a lot more sense to you. Can you relate to Philip? Just trying to be faithful, just trying to share the gospel, just trying to share the love of Jesus and grow other disciples. Whoever you can relate to, take that next step of action. Speaking of action, I just want to uh, share a story with you that's fresh that gives you a little bit of an understanding of how God is still doing this type of stuff today. As uh, Pastor Brian mentioned earlier, we, we sent a team to Pearl Island. Uh, they came back. Those three ladies came back. Another team just went. We've got a couple young men going here in a little bit. But Emily, one of the gals on the trip from the first team, shares this story, and as I read this story, I want you to listen for the similarities to what you just heard in Acts chapter 8. She said this, we went walking through a village one night and were praying for God to open doors to a conversation with people, praying for God to open doors. A few minutes later, a group of teenagers invited us to sit down and eat some fruit with them. There were probably around 12 people huddled in this little shop. Within a few minutes, we started talking to Argo, who spoke English surprisingly well and found out that he was an Islam religion major at the university. We started chatting, but the conversation didn't go far because of so many people changing the subject and wanting to chat. Earlier in the week, our translator told us that if we all tried stinky fruit, that he would dance for us. Stinky fruit is this big, nasty, spiky fruit that just smells terrible. It tastes actually okay, but it smells really bad. Hence the name, stinky fruit. Okay. And... Uh, Somehow we got on this topic, and Argo happened to own his own stinky fruit farm. <laughs> so it was late at night, and he invited us to come to the farm in the morning and try it. So the next morning, Argo came to get us, and we all went to his tiny village. Argo told us it was the first time that any foreigner had ever come to the town. We tried the stinky fruit, which actually wasn't that bad, and then Argo's mom cooked us a meal. The entire village was gathered around when we began asking Argo more questions about Islam. We talked for over an hour about the gospel and the love of Christ. Being a Muslim scholar, he challenged us a bit, but was definitely stumped when some of his theology had no backing to it. The entire village was listening as we got to share the awesome message of Jesus. No one gave their life to Christ right then, but the seeds were planted, and most likely for the first time these people have ever heard the gospel. They invited uh, our teams to come again and for uh, to stay next time. I can't wait to see the seeds that will be watered over the coming months and years. Never heard the gospel, just interaction, asking good questions, praying for opportunities, getting a chance to share Jesus. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. What's beautiful is our second team's over there now. I wonder if they're going to go to Argo's village. I wonder how those seeds will be watered or maybe harvested um, because of God's faithfulness. And because of your faithfulness, because of your prayers and serving and giving here, this kind of stuff is happening through CVC. But here's the thing. Many of you might take the opportunity to go on a plane and do this type of ministry. But don't forget, you can't do it there until you learn how to do it here. It's the rock. Let God do the big splash here in your heart and life, in your own neighborhood, and watch those ripples go out as you try to live uh, with God's work in you and through you. I don't know what your next step is today, but let me just offer a few. 
For those of you that are confronted with the realization that you do not have a relationship with God, you do not have forgiveness of sins, you need to be made right with God, I encourage you to give your life to Christ. You just need to tell the Lord, God, I'm coming. (laughs) I'm broken, I'm lost, I'm sinful, I need you, I'm coming to you, come into my life. If you are taking that step of faith today, here's my challenges to you. Would you let us know? And one of the best ways you can do that is during the end of the service, during the last song, even in the next few minutes, just take out your phone and text Jesus. This is your way of saying, I am following Jesus for the first time. Don't pick up your phone and say, oh, I love Jesus. You know, no. You're coming to faith for the first time. And text Jesus to that number. And what will happen is we're going to get back in touch with you letting you know about your next steps to grow because we want to walk with you guys. We want to help you personally grow in your new relationship with Christ. If you don't have a device, just use a card that's around you. Just write down, I'm coming to Christ today. Fill out that card, put it in the basket when it comes around a little bit. Some of you, you're followers of Christ, but you've never been baptized. I love the, the simplicity of the Ethiopian eunuch going, I believe in Jesus, there's water, let's do this. And there's just some of you that you've been following Jesus for years, but you haven't got baptized yet. It's like, what's the holdout? Let's just, let's just go. Let's just show your love for Christ and get baptized. Uh, some of you, as Phillips, you're trying to grow others in their faith. I want to tell you about a brand new tool that we'd love for you to use uh, in what's called a huddle. You, you grab one, two, or three other people, and it's this book uh, we just produced. It's called Taproot. And it just takes you through a six-week spiritual conversation to grow in the Christian faith and understand who God has made you to be. And this just helps you grow and it helps you help others grow as God is working in you and through you. So those are available in the foyer. You can grab one of those, grab a couple people and say, this summer, I'm going to grab a couple people and we're going to go through Taproot and we're going to grow as we try to live out our life as disciples. I don't know what your next step is, but here it is. You're on a voyage. Take the next step. Give it to God and see what he does with it. Amen? Let's pray, would you? God, thank you for the reminder from your word of how powerful you are, of how you want to use us, Lord. God, of how different people react to the good news of Jesus. God, thank you for the example of Simon, Lord. I pray for any of those Simons here, God, that that you would uh, take that heart and make it new, Lord. Give them true faith, true believing faith, even today. Lord, I pray for those who might be like the Ethiopian, Lord, that the heart's right, but they're just trusting in the wrong things. God, that today would be the day that they're realizing they just need to give their life to you and surrender and come to Christ and Christ alone. God, even that today might be that day for them. And Lord, for those of us who are trying to be Phillips in this room, all the men and women who just want to be faithful, God, may we use the example of Philip to grow and to help us help others grow, Lord. So God, thank you for that. Thank you for what you're doing on Pearl Island. Thank you for what you're doing in Cleveland, the United States, God. You're always at work. Help us be dedicated to your work through our gifts, through our talents and treasures, through our offerings, through our words, through our lives, through our actions. Take us and use us as we voyage for you. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen.